Thank you. Oh, well, good morning. Good morning. So please be seated. Good to see you. Glad you showed up. Glad you showed up. I mean, I'd have come just to hang out with these guys, but it's nice to have you here too, so, so far. My parents told me to always be truthful and honest. Our teacher asked us what our favorite animal was, and I told her it was fried chicken. <laughs> she said I wasn't funny, but she couldn't have been right because everyone else in the class laughed. <laughs> my parents told me to be truthful, and I am. Fried chicken is my favorite animal. I told my dad what happened. He said my teacher was probably a member of PETA. He said they love animals very much. And I do too, especially chicken, pork, and beef. Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened. He laughed too. Then he told me not to do it again. The next day in class, my teacher asked me what my favorite live animal was. I told her it was chicken. She asked me why, just like she asked the other children. And I told her it was because you could make them into fried chicken. She sent me back to the principal's office again. He laughed and told me not to do it again. I don't understand. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. Today, my teacher asked us to tell her what famous person we admire most. I told her, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Guess where I am now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter four. I was ready for you this time, I was ready for you. You caught me off guard last night, first service you surprised me, but now I'm there, I'm, I'm ready, I know what you're about to do. Actually, um, what we're gonna do is, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna take you to Matthew four, I'm gonna take you elsewhere. I wanna tell you, um, take you on a personal, uh, tell you a personal story. And, um, I have, I've been um, uh, really provoked and stirred in my heart over several things that I've have watched and witnessed of late. And, and it really boils down to, to two things. I, I see two things really crippling the lives of so many believers. And one would be resentment, and the other is not knowing how to handle disappointment. And so I'm actually gonna take you on a personal journey and talk to you. Uh, take you through a story, something that the Lord uh, uh, really spoke to me, uh, talked to me about uh, a few years ago. In, um, in uh, December of 2020, first week of December, I was awakened in the middle of the night with a thought. I've, ha I've had the Lord awake, wake me up before uh, with a word. I actually, so many years ago, I, it's... Uh, if you know just um, my own history, my own personality, what I grew up with, the three things I hated most in life was the thought of talking in front of a group of people. That was number one. Number two would be writing. This is called divine humor. And number three is reading. It's like those are the things I despise the most. And, um, and, and I remember asking the Lord, about writing because I had this desire. I knew I didn't have the training, the skill set or whatever to, to do that, but I had this desire in my heart, so I prayed and prayed and prayed. And, uh, and finally the Lord woke me one night with his voice. And uh, he woke me up with his voice. He said, Isaiah 30, verse eight. And that was all. He gave me a scripture reference, that was it. And uh, so when I got up, I opened Isaiah verse eight. It says, now go and write. And so I, I, I kind of took the hint that maybe he wanted me to start writing and uh, applied myself to that. So I've had him wake me with his voice before. But this was different because I was awakened with a thought. I don't know that it had ever happened before, but I want to take you through the process. I actually laid awake in bed. It was a Saturday night, uh, first uh, week of December, 2020. Um, I laid awake for an hour and a half, maybe two hours, just processing what he said. And this is, this is what the, the thought that kind of erupted in my mind. A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. 
A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. I don't know about you, but that's not a normal thought for me. That's not the kind of, I think more in terms of what kind of car should I buy? Those are the kinds of things I think about, you know, like what am I gonna have for dinner tomorrow night? Uh, but here's, here's this thought that just really exploded in my heart and my mind. A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. So I, I laid there processing literally for the next uh, while what, what he was trying to say to me. And I started uh, thinking about a study that I had done many years earlier for months. I had studied daily uh, out of the book of Nehemiah. And of course, in Ezra, you have the rebuilding of a temple really represents our conversion. And then the rebuilding of walls is the safety that surrounds the temple, that surrounds the city. And it really represents uh, the moral fiber, character, uh, things that God builds in our lives. It really keeps us safe. Uh, when you have walls around a city, you can have an enemy shooting arrows at the wall. You don't even know it. You're on the inside safe. And, uh, and that's really um, what happens as our lives are built with character, with discipline, with the values of the kingdom established in our lives. So anyway, I, I began to process this. And I remember when Nehemiah, whose name uh, means comf uh, comforter, he's a, he's a wonderful picture and type of the Holy Spirit. Jack Hayford, if you can find it on YouTube or somewhere, has the absolute best teaching on Nehemiah I've ever heard. But he, he would talk about this. And the, the walled city, uh, there was a time where they finally got all the walls up, but there were gates that were still open. And if you can imagine if they had been under attack from surrounding enemies the entire time, they, had, they attempted actually to rebuild the walls for 72 years. And every time they'd make progress, the enemy would come in and tear it down at night. So for 72 years, they had the effort to rebuild their city, but they failed. Nehemiah, whose name means comforter, came, and I believe it was in 52 days, they completed the walls. With the Holy Spirit, you can finish in a season which you couldn't otherwise do in a lifetime. And that's what the Lord enabled them to do. And say so they, they rebuilt the walls, and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. It's kind of fun to, to watch. There were, there were times where there would be gaps in the wall. And you can imagine uh, if you're an invading enemy that wants to come and kill, steal, and destroy, you're gonna come through one of the openings in the wall. And uh, so Nehemiah was smart enough. He put soldiers there and they would have their weapons and they would stand there so that no enemy could get in. So here we have this concept, a walled city without gates is not entirely safe. And I, I remembered an encounter that I had with the Lord um, in, uh, in May of 1979, it was a Thursday afternoon, and it was actually uh, not an encounter of power. Uh, I, the two most profound encounters I've had with the Lord, I'm 72, so it doesn't happen every weekend. It's uh, two major encounters in 72 years, so do the math. Um, this experience that I had with the Lord, I was walking actually in the back of the sanctuary of our, our, our little church uh, sanctuary in, in Weaverville, California, mountain community, where I pastored for 17 years. I was in the back walking and praying. And I was reading out of Isaiah chapter 60. And the Lord uh, just began to speak to me out of that chapter and it changed my life. It, he gave me understanding of the coming days and what he was doing in the earth, what he was doing in the church. And it just deeply, deeply impacted me. And, and I, I can honestly say it's, it's affected every day of my life since then. Well, I took, as I'm laying in bed, I recalled to mind this particular verse, verse 18, you see it on the screen, Isaiah 60. And he says in this verse, the last half of the verse, you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. You will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So you can see right here, he's giving us a spiritual description of a natural reality. The spiritual world is more real than the physical world. Paul says, what you can't see is eternal. What you can see is temporal. What you can't see is eternal. What you can see is temporal. It's the reason faith is anchored in the unseen, because it's a superior reality. Faith brokers that reality into this one to shape and influence the natural realm. So here he describes this picture, this walled city, and he says, your walls are salvation, but your gates are praise. 
as I'm laying there again, middle of the night, I'm processing this, I'm trying to glean as much as I can of, of what I believe he awakened me with this thought. Yeah, you don't have to put those verses up yet, please. Thanks. He awakened me with, uh, with this thought. I started recalling that salvation is what he does for us. Praise is what we give to him. So picture now the wall, we got a wall, it's our salvation, it's what he did for us. But the gate is our responsibility, it's what we do for him. We all know what it is to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. It's a step beyond convenience. It's, it automatically implies that we give him something when we least feel like it. And when we go through scripture and we discover <clears throat> what this offering is like, the Bible teaches us that Psalms 24, lift up your heads, O your gates, that the king of glory might enter in. Here's an offering, if you will. Lift up your heads, lift up your countenance. Lift up this gate of praise because it's the place where the king of glory wants to enter. So suddenly I start discovering and recalling to mind that the subject of gates is actually about the presence of the Lord. And this offering that I give him is about the presence of the Lord. I remembered a verse out of Psalms, I forget what it is, I, th I think it's 84, but it's in the 80s somewhere, <clears throat> where he says that he likes the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Israel. That's an interesting um, statement. He likes the gates of Zion. We don't think of gates as a place to live until you realize that he inhabits praise and gates are praise. until you realize that he inhabits our praise and, and gates our praise. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a chance next time. <clears throat> that he likes the, the gates of Zion, this picture now of praise, that dwelling place he likes better than all the other places he could inhabit, which is amazing. His value on the offering, the sacrifice, that which cost me something. So then <clears throat> I started thinking again, I'm, it's the middle of the night, started recalling to mind another very powerful principle and it's the verse that was on the screen here a minute ago out of the book of Revelation. And it's in Revelation 21. It's verse 21. It says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. That's just an unusual picture. So, I, uh, <clears throat> I I love I love biblical language. I like I like how God I like how prophets try to describe what they've seen. I like how God describes things, and and sometimes it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And in this particular story, we've got the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And it's 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500. It's a perfect cube. And it says, it came down out of heaven like a bride. A cube does not remind me of a bride. <laughs> Maybe it does here in Tulsa, but not where I come from. That's not a bride. And yet, that unusual picture of absolute perfect structure tells me that structure is supposed to come out of romance that there's something about the deep affection that we have with the Lord that gives us the grace and the wisdom to create the structures. There's a system of priorities that we have to live by. The Bible talks about wineskins. There's lots of books and wonderful teachings, honestly. Everything I've heard uh, teaching on wineskin is really profound. But the treasure is not the wineskin. It's not the structure, it's the wine. Everything we build is to host a person. Its sole purpose is to host a person who is ever changing and expanding. And what we build must accommodate this one who is continuously moving. 
So here's this picture of the gates of the new Jerusalem. And it's just the weirdest, one of the weirdest pictures in the Bible. Each gate is one solid pearl. How are pearls formed? How? Through irritation. So for a gate to be called praise, it's formed out of irritation. It tells me then that the praise is not just given when things have worked well. It must be a sacrificial gift that I offer him when it doesn't seem to be reasonable. It doesn't seem to be the most logical thing to do. It actually, the irritation of this experience is contrary to what was promised in scripture and I have no explanation, but this irritation gives me the opportunity to step into that moment to give him an offering that costs me something. I love the fact that more and more athletes, I like sports, so more and more athletes are coming to Christ and uh, we have uh, athletes in the NFL playoffs right now that are giving just the glory to God. And I, I, I love the fact that they do that. I, I like at, after most any victory in, uh, of a game, especially championship games, <clears throat> you'll see the reporters in the locker room or on the field and they'll interview players. And oftentimes there'll be a player that will give thanks to the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing to hear them take their moment in the spotlight and give God the thanks. It's amazing. They'll give the Lord thanks for, for getting paid to play a game. And it's, it's an amazing thing. And we all, many of us just really enjoyed and are thankful for the privilege of, of being able to watch these things. I remember as a kid, though, it was hard to find a Christian athlete. Baseball was my sport. It was where I, I uh, had put a whole bunch of my life. And, uh, and I, I remember, I was a San Francisco Giants fan, don't hate me for that, um, San Francisco Giants fan. And I remember growing up finding there was a Christian ball player on, on the team, Philippe Alou. I remember actually going to hear him speak once and give his testimony. And it was, it was a rare thing to find a believer in professional sports. But today I have a, a friend who was a quarterback in the NFL and he tells us that up to 70% of all NFL players are born again. 70%. Isn't that amazing? 70%. I'm thankful to hear them give testimony to the Lord and give honor to the Lord. But, you know, let's be honest. This isn't a put down by any means. But it's not hard to give God thanks when you just won the Super Bowl. You know, let's, let's, let's be honest. In fact, you hear people that don't even know the Lord, they give God thanks for, for the privilege of winning the Super Bowl. And I don't blame them, they, sh- they should be. But the gate is formed in sacrifice. That which becomes the place that God inhabits, it's actually shaped in our lives by what we do in disappointment. It's what we do in loss. What I started to mention at the beginning, and I didn't finish my thought, but I, we've had something, somewhere around 20,000 students go through our school, our ministry school. And one of the things that I love doing so much, one of my favorite things, is that when I travel, like I'll, I'll go to Perth, Australia, or, or London, the UK, or somewhere, and, and, uh, and, and uh, Michael, my sister, will put together a gathering of alumni. And I'll sit in a room, we'll try to find a, if if it's a small group of 15 or 20, we'll find a Starbucks somewhere and go sit and, and, uh, and, and talk or we'll get a room in a church or a convention hall or something sit down and spend time together. And I love getting reports. I love, I love hearing what they're doing. And then I love for them to be able to ask questions. And it's just a wonderful time of connection with the people that we have known for the last, sometimes up to 20 years or so. But one of the most disheartening things that I experience throughout any given year is to hear of this person that used to be so on fire for the Lord who, who according to the reports, they have completely abandoned the faith. How does that happen? How does it happen that somebody who has been in a place of just fervency for the Lord, re- paying the price, travel across the world, come to a school, 
be trained, see God work through them, how do they come to a place where they actually would consider changing the entire focus and direction of their life? We could probably debate the issue for eternity as to how and why that would happen. But what I've noticed is that in almost every case, they didn't know how to handle disappointment. I think the two main killers in the church is resentment and disappointment, not knowing how to handle disappointment. My personal conviction is these, these experiences that we have in life. I don't, you know, I don't think God is the one who causes loss. He's not the one who, you know, puts cancer on somebody and then says, you know, it'll work for good or something. It's, 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 he's good. The Bible says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So if you see death, loss, and destruction, guess who's involved? It's not the Lord. But we do live in a world with tremendous conflicts. We experience things that he didn't design for us, but he promised to be with us. He gave us solutions and tools. I know for me that whenever I become anxious, I lose sight of the tools. I forget everything he's taught me. It's, it's, anxiety just causes me to forget, forget. You're in that moment of heart panic where you're just grasping for solutions. And it's the reason the enemy works so hard to make us, make us anxious and fearful. You know, you know this, the number one command in the Bible is do not fear. The enemy works hard to make us fearful and anxious in various moments because the Lord could have prepared us for years for this one moment, but if I become anxious, I forget all the preparation. So here we are in these moments where we, we learn how to, yeah, we learn how to advance. I, 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 I look at it this way. You can, you can sail a boat into the wind. It's a, a strange phenomenon. I, I couldn't do it if my life depended on it, but I, I hear you can do it. You, you use the rudder and you use the sail in a certain way that you can actually sail into the wind. And much of what we want in life is on the other side of adverse winds. Much of what we ache for, much of what we cry for, the only way we'll enter it is by learning to navigate our confession and the attitude of our heart to be able to enter these things. See, I have to be able to handle moments of loss well so that I'm positioned and can be trusted with gain. I have to be able to navigate criticism well so that I can be trusted with honor, with praise. I have to be able to navigate betrayal well keep my heart clean in betrayal because only then can I really be trusted with the level of covenant friendships that God has designed for me. It's navigating these things. It's not like I'm, I have all the answers. It's just that I know the one who does and I'm gonna trust him no matter what. I may not know what to do tomorrow, but right now I'm just, and I'll say it out loud. It helps my heart if I just say, Father, I trust you. I may be in the middle of the biggest panic moment of my life, but I will declare out loud, I trust you. I trust you. I'll walk around my house. I trust you, Father. There's something that happens in me when I, when I make this bold proclamation. You have to understand, you're not conjuring up trust. You're returning to who God designed you to be. See, faith is a natural expression of a believer. That's why we're called believers. We're not called knowers. We're called believers because the essence of our walk with Christ is this element of faith, this element of trust. So I take this moment and I, and I, and I give him thanks. And so here we have this, this biblical description of, of a gate. That's the weirdest thing in the world, is a gate made out of one huge solid pearl. And it, it's formed through irritation. It means that we grab our moments, we make use out of them. Uh, there's a book that uh, was written, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. You know, if you got a bad experience, you might as well use it for the glory of God. You might as well take your moment and give him thanks in the middle of it. You see, there's verses like, there's verses like, you know, he causes all things to work together for good. Do you understand that verse has no purpose unless you have a disappointment? 
It's not a verse you need when you just got the raise at work, when you just got the promotion, when you just bought the house you've been wanting to buy. That, that verse isn't that useful there. It's useful when there's crisis, when there's disappointment, when there's loss. Verses like rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. That verse has its most meaning when I'm facing something I don't understand. That's when it has the most meaning. I remember reading those three verses out of 1 Thessalonians 5. I remember reading those so many years ago as a young pastor, thinking, oh my goodness, I could spend every day the rest of my life trying to learn those three verses and I'd have a full-time job on my hands. Rejoice always. That means in every situation. Pray without ceasing. In other words, every single part of life is worthy of prayer. Probably the biggest mistake I make in life is I make assumptions knowing what he wants. And he says, pray without ceasing. Why? Because we don't know what to do. So he says, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't mean I'm thankful for the disease. I'm thankful for the one who rules in the midst of the disease. And if I don't come into the place of thankfulness, here's, here's a, a strange concept in scripture that when we give thanks in the middle of a, of a horrible situation, picture this, the enemy uses this accusation or this guilt or this disease or this conflict relation or whatever it might be, whatever it might be, he uses these things as weapons against us. But when I give thanks in the middle of that situation, it removes the weapon out of his hand and it puts it into the Lord's hand to work it redemptively on my behalf. It's, it's, a, it's a bizarre reality, but it's absolutely true. It takes the weapon out of the enemy's hand. How? Not through this bold, aggressive you know, stuff. I believe in that. I, I, I believe in the getting ornery and going after stuff. But there are moments where I just need to be quiet and just give thanks. And so here, here we have this, this unusual description, the gate that actually attracts, invites the presence of the Lord into our broken situation. That gate is formed out of the irritation that this is what was promised in scripture. I haven't yet experienced it. And I'm in the middle of something I'm really, I'm really struggling with. I'm experiencing a lot of discomfort and pain, disappointment. And that's where I give him thanks. That's where I give him praise. Listen to me, a walled city without gates is not entirely safe. It doesn't mean you're eternally insecure. It's not, it's not that, it's just we don't live in the realm of safety and can I say blessing that we were designed for if we don't do our part and give gates, put gates in place. And those gates are praise, pearls that are formed in the midst of disappointment. My wife died a year and a half ago, July 13th. 6.58 p.m. We were married 49 years. She uh, was absolutely, uh, some of my team, you know, that I've been with for many years, they will tell you, Bill really doesn't have, doesn't struggle with the fear of man much. And, 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 and they'll tell you that, you know, I really don't care that much about what people think. But my wife was that times a thousand. She, she, she just, just didn't care. She was this uh, great intercessor, this prayer warrior, and people's opinions just didn't matter. She just served God no matter what. I was with her the night she was so profoundly touched by the power of God, and it shook off, it literally visibly shook off every insecurity that was on her life. It was a power encounter with God. She was, she was that for me and so much more. She was truly, uh, she wrote a book, Happy Intercession. That's who she was. She, was. she wasn't one of the depressed intercessors. Thank you, Jesus. She wrote, she wrote this book, Happy Intercession. We've had pastors come to us say, thank you. You saved our church. You saved our intercessory team because they were all heading down the path of depression and calling it intercession. 
You know, when we give a spiritual term to a dysfunction, it gives it permission to stay. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. this tiny creature crawling down my throat and thought I should probably take care of him. So my wife passed away. Our family, my kids, grandkids, many of the grandkids were <clears throat> around her at that time, friends. And we had been seeing so many breakthroughs and so many improvements and so many wonderful things. I, I took that, that year <clears throat> and just stayed home. I canceled my trips all over the place and just stayed at home with her. And it was just a great privilege. And we were there declaring and confessing, praying, proclaiming the healing grace of Jesus that we had seen over that exact disease. And yes, yeah, she breathed her last. And we were there. <clears throat> the, the moment, if you can picture the last breath, and then there's the realization in the entire room. Some of you have been in this position this realization in the entire room, that part's over. You only have that moment one time in your life. So I raised my hands. We raised our hands and just began to give God thanks. Thanks in the middle of something that is so painful, is so disappointing so opposite of what we've been praying for, so opposite of what we've been declaring, so opposite of what we have had promised. I, um, I know this will sound strange to you, but I've got, I've got a prophetic word in here that somebody gave me about her healing. <clears throat> this, this, will, this will be weird to you, but I keep it. I keep it not as a sign that somebody got it wrong. I keep it as a sign that somebody really loved us to fight for us and to prophesy what they believed would happen. And even though it didn't happen as they said, it's a marker to me of the love of the people of God to fight and to pray for and to declare what they believed. I'll always treasure that. But she is gone. And so now you're left in your situation. It may be the end of a marriage. It may be the death of a loved one. It could be any number of things. All of us have experienced these kinds of disappointments. And what we do in those moments, oh, I, I don't want to do a guilt-shame thing for anybody, so please forgive me if, if that's implied, because that's not my heart at all. But in, in, those, in those moments, we are actually deciding what measure of presence we want to live with. Because he, he inhabits those offerings. And it becomes a permanent fixture when it's formed in irritation, when it's formed in, there's a conflict in thought, there's a conflict in value, there's a conflict, I received this word, that's not what happened. You've got this conflict, what do you do? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks. So I determined, I learned something actually several years earlier with my dad's death, <clears throat> much like what you experience here in this house with the great father of this house. He came, moved to Reading just to help us with the revival we were experiencing. And then a short time later, he was gone. And I, I remember, I remember thinking, <clears throat> In heaven, I won't have a chance. I, I, in, in heaven, I'll, I, I won't experience confusion. I, I won't experience guilt. Oh, if we only would have prayed this way, if we only would have fasted more, if we only would have done this. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, you, you don't have any of that in heaven. You don't have any of the shame. You don't have any of the confusion, any of the bewilderment, the question. You don't have any of the doubt stuff going on in heaven. All that stuff just happens here. And so I, I determined I want to make sure 
that I give God an offering, a sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving, in the middle of my pain here, in the middle of my confusion here, in the middle of my guilt here. I want to give him an offering because I want to give him something that I'll never be able to give him in heaven. This is the only time in my entire life that I'll have a chance to give him that offering. And so I'm going to grab my moment. I'm going to grab my moment. I'm going to, it doesn't, it's not that it feels good. It's not that it even makes sense. I just know it's right. And so I'm going to grab my moment and I'm going to put on my lips an offering. God, I exalt you as the healer in the midst of watching somebody die of a horrible disease. He is not redefined by my experience. If my experience is different than his standard that's established in scripture, there's no lack on his end of the equation. I'm not going to do guilt and shame, but I'm also not going to blame him. See, this is the importance of being willing and, and joyfully receiving mystery as a gift. Because when you receive mystery as a gift, you have an opportunity to strengthen trust. When you receive mystery as a gift, you have an opportunity to grow in your own confidence in the nature of God, the character of God. It's not all about what I can comprehend. I don't control him. He owes me nothing. He doesn't owe me one explanation. I never ask him why. When something happens, I don't ask him why. He owes me no explanation. All, I, all, all that I need in this moment is what do I do next? I don't try to be strong for the church. I don't go, come on, just lift yourself up by your bootstraps and be strong. I'm not interested. I'm not trying to be strong for anyone. I am trying to be faithful. My ambition is faithfulness. I'll work at that. I know that strength is a result, but I want strength to be the product, not the goal. So you grab your moments and you give him, you give him offerings that cost you. You give him offerings that that are costly, they make no sense. But something happens in these moments. I, <clears throat> I can tell you from my own experience through the years, whenever I've had <clears throat> some horrible loss or conflict or you know, a relational thing that just is as painful as can be, in those moments when I, when I find them willing just to obey God and, and rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks and everything. In those moments, when I've captured those moments to make sure that they glorify him, something happens because really that irritation forms a gate. That conflict in thought and behavior forms a gate and he comes, he inhabits, he dwells there, he rests there. In a couple of weeks, I get to go to my favorite restaurant in the world again. You need to rejoice with me. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. That's, uh, I'll just take one of you is all I need. I, 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 I'm a, I love food. I, I've, been, I've been eating it constantly <laughs> since I was born and I really like it. And, uh, and I, I have a restaurant I've been able to eat at some great restaurants around the world. Had an amazing steak last night. Red meat is my love language. <laughs> vegetables are nice, but what I eat eats vegetables. I have a t-shirt that says, if God meant for us to be vegetarians, he would have made broccoli more fun to shoot at. <laughs> All the vegetarians in our church have to forgive me almost weekly, so I ask the same from you. <clears throat> so in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna be going to my favorite restaurant once again, and. And I, I, I've been there many times through the years. It's in Napa Valley. It's, it's called the French Laundry. It's a spectacular place to eat. It's pretty expensive, so it's nice when you finally get a chance to go there. So I'm, I'm going to be going there again. But I remember my first time. <clears throat> I went into this restaurant. I'm sitting down with a, a, my wife and I and another couple. 
and we're there enjoying this incredible experience. I mean, everything is almost choreographed. It's just, everything is, is just beyond perfect. And so we're enjoying the entire experience, everything, from the napkins to the tableware, the glass, everything is just perfect. And they start bringing out the food. It's like nine courses, and then they just every once in a while throw in something else, you know, just because they can. And I remember they brought out, I think it was the second or third dish, <clears throat> they brought out this thing that, they, that he calls, uh, Thomas Keller's the chef, he calls oysters and pearls. And what it is, it's oysters and caviar. You, you got to understand, I'm not an oyster fan or a caviar fan. In fact, to be honest with you, up until that moment, I hated oysters and caviar. I did not like them. So they bring this up, <clears throat> set in front of me. I look over at my wife. She's to my right. and I say, honey, I'm paying too much for this meal. I have to at least try this. So I took my spoon, some oyster, some caviar, and this magic sauce. I put it, I put it into my mouth. And you remember in the Bible when the young man took honey and it says his eyes brightened? That's what happened for me. My eyes brightened. I was having a revelation of God. Honestly, I took a friend there years later. I'm not gonna tell you who it was because I don't want to embarrass them, but they started crying in the middle of the meal, <laughs> crying. And I, I, look, I looked at her and I said, what's going on? She said, this is the Holy Spirit in my mouth. <laughs> she, was, she, was, she was serious. It was just an experience. So here, here I am, I've got this, this but not all of you want to go, right? Yeah, you got to head out to a restaurant right after this meeting. So I, I put this in my mouth and I turned to my wife. I said, honey, I want a chili bowl full of this stuff. I don't know how he did it, but this, this master chef took as two main ingredients, things I don't like, put it with some other stuff and turned it into something that might just be the most amazing thing I've ever eaten. The master chef takes the parts of your life you'd rather forget about, the parts of your life you regret ever happened, the parts of your life where you suffered the most disappointment and loss, the great successes, the promise, the fulfillments, all these different parts of your life, and he puts them together into a recipe where the end result is something that is the most wonderful thing you've ever tasted. He causes all things to work together for good. <clears throat> he takes the worst parts of our life, he takes the best parts, and he's able to do his thing, where he works it together, where you find yourself saying, I can't believe that I like oysters and caviar, but I'm a fan, I'm a fan. And then Jesus steps into your life, into my life, and in the middle of giving him thanks and praise for the things we despise the most, the things we would rather do anything to avoid, and somehow when we give him thanks and praise, it removes the, the weapon from the enemy's hand, and the master chef begins to do his stuff. And he puts together your life and my life with his touch on it, where even the things we despise become evidences of beauty and wonder and grace. I want you to stand. <clears throat> if you can keep the lights up for me, if you wouldn't mind, I, I want to be able to see people good. Thanks. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor here in just a moment, <clears throat> but I want to I want to pray first for you as a group. And this is what I've I've had on my heart because of some of the things that I've seen happen over the last year or so, uh, in the stories from people that just that just never knew how to deal with with a disappointment. They just got stuck, and and I, I watch it happen way more often than it should, where people 
uh, because of something that happened 20 years ago or two weeks ago. They just have been stuck ever since and have never been able to get out of that, the influence of that disappointment, that loss, that tragedy. Never do we have to give God the credit for such disastrous things, but we can give him thanks and praise that he is able to work that into the recipe in a way where you will actually, at the end of the story, say, amazing. It's amazing how you use that the way you did. Sometimes thanks, praise is just the most powerful expression of faith you can give. I'm going to ask the question, and I know it's not everybody in the room and it shouldn't ever be, but I know there are some. How many of you would say, I've been stuck and I want to be unstuck? It's been because of loss or disappointment. And I want this to be my day of freedom. Put a hand in the air if that's you. Just stick your hand up high. Don't, don't be ashamed or afraid because it's been all of us one time or another. Stick your hand up high. Okay, look around you. I want you to lay hands on these folks. I want you to join with them. And I want you to pray, God, let this be the day where they truly, truly get unstuck. There are some of you have been, you really have been locked. You, you've been stuck because of unforgiveness. You need to release people from the, from, the, um, from the guilt, if you will, of what they did that was wrong to you. People tell me, oh, I've been hurt by the church. Well, if you haven't been hurt by the church, then you're not close enough to anyone. I mean, that's just kind of part and parcel of being a part of the body. People who have never been hurt are just too independent to get hurt. But that's not you. So if that's you, put your hand up because I want to make sure that we get people unstuck this morning. If you have nobody close to you, I want you to turn your attention towards one who has their hand up because I want us to partner together right now that God would bring a deliverance, a healing, a liberty to these who are bold enough to say, I've been stuck and I want to be free. On the count of three, I want you to lift your voice and I want you to begin to pray for these that God would free them. One, two, three. Lift your voice, let's pray. Let's pray for the Lord to set people free. Set them free. Set them free. A real spirit of breakthrough to rest upon their lives. Give the anointing that inspires thanksgiving, praise, rejoicing. Release us, God, as a people. We want no more fatalities because of not knowing how to handle disappointment. Those of you that are being prayed for, just renounce. Sometimes we unintentionally partner with the enemy and we just give him access to continually rob and steal from our souls. We just renounce that spirit of disappointment. You have no place in me, no place in me. I set my heart to give thanks to the Lord continuously. Thank you, Lord. All right, you did good. Now everybody face the front. And I want you just to give thanks in the middle of the most challenging thing that you're facing right now. And literally, as best you're able, I want you to put it right in front of you. And I want you to give thanks to the Lord in the middle of that situation. No pretending. It's not mind over matter. We're not pretending it doesn't exist. We're just not giving the problem a place of influence. So I want you to lift thanks Lift your hands, lift your faces, lift your voices, and let's give him thanks together. We honor you, Lord Jesus. You are faithful. You are true. We honor you, Lord God. Mighty, mighty God. Mighty, mighty God. We give you thanks. We give you praise. You are Lord of all. You are champion over all things. You are the great victor. You are the great victor. We bless the name of Jesus. Lift your praise. Lift your praise. Honor the name of the Lord Jesus. Lift your praise. We honor you, God. We boast in you, Lord Jesus. We boast in you, Lord. Bless your name. I just feel to invite down to the altar anyone who raised your hand that you have felt stuck in a disappointment or a hurt or just a loss 
just leave your seat, come down to the altar. And I want to end today praying over you and inviting Pastor Bill and his team to pray over you. And maybe you're here right now and you just feel stuck spiritually or stuck mentally, emotionally, financially, relationally, in marriage and family, whatever it is, just take a humble pursuit after God's healing, love, his presence. Make a sacrifice of praise this morning in the middle of the disappointment, in the middle of the failure, the betrayal, the pain, the loss. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up yours. Cause you got a lion inside of those lives. Get up and praise the Lord. If you need to get down to the altar today, don't miss this moment. Grab this moment right now to surrender, to surrender, to surrender. His healing power is here. His forgiveness is here. His mercy is here. His grace is here. To get you unstuck, to get you out of that rut.
feel like the Holy Spirit's moving specifically here at the altar. What we're gonna do is we're gonna dismiss in a minute and then anyone who wants to stay, I'm gonna let the band just minister and let Meredith sing. But before we dismiss, I wanna invite all of us to pray this prayer. And then out of this prayer and this dismissal, if you need to head out, pick up your kids, you can. If you wanna stay and linger and just sit in the presence of God. How many of y'all were ministered to by the word today? Just the, the testimony of Pastor Bill. Man, it was so good. It was so rich in the word. And, and just sometimes you hear a message and I was thinking about this when we were sitting there and I was praying. I felt like the Lord said, sometimes the best messages don't end with a bow to tie everything up that says it's all gonna be perfect. Some of the best messages end with the reminder that even in the loss, even when the prayer doesn't get answered, even when things don't go the way we hope they're gonna go, sometimes the bow is that he's still worthy of our praise, even through the disappointment. That was the message today is our hope is not in everything on earth going according to our will and our plan and our hopes and dreams. But the point of our praise and worship, the best praise and worship, the gates, the pearls are formed in the sacrificial praise. The sacrificial praise, such a deep word to remind ourselves, like it doesn't take faith to trust in God when everything's going your way. It takes faith to trust in God when nothing is going our way. When I listened to all the sermons this week, there was different messages. They talked about Job. They talked about, there was sermons this week that talked about disappointment, pain, loss, grief. And I think God is taking his church deeper. I think he's reminding the bride, we are not here just for the victories. We are here through the losses to find a stronger faith that can withstand any storm, any pain, any disappointment to remind ourselves in that midnight hour like Paul and Silas, to give thanks to God even when the chains are around your hands, to give thanks to God even when the prison doors have been slammed in your face, to give thanks to God. He sets the prisoners free and the captives free. Lord, I thank you that praise God is our only way forward. And Lord, as we begin to praise, we're getting unstuck out of the depression out of the fear, out of the anger, out of the bitterness, out of that resentment, out of those feelings of apathy spiritually, out of those feelings that things will never change. I thank you as we begin to praise, as we begin to give thanks, Lord, chains have to break, prison doors swing open, captives are set free, prisoners are set free. Lord, that you begin to set us free from the stuck season that many have been in. God, I thank you today is a day of getting unstuck as we lift our eyes and our hearts to you. Just say this with me, Jesus, you deserve the glory. You deserve the praise. No matter what I go through, you have been good. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave. You've given me salvation. You've given me eternal life. You've given me peace and joy. And this is the day that you have made, and I will rejoice. Satan, you don't have the final say. Over my story, over my praise, I'm going to give thanks to God, no matter what life brings, because God deserves the glory, and he's still on the throne, and he's still going to get my worship. In Jesus' name.